Hey leaders, today we have a guest whose journey beautifully intertwines medicine and leadership. Dr. Sunil Sinha joins us with an impressive 30 years under his belt, bringing a wealth of wisdom about communication, leadership, and the power of mentorship. Dr. Sinha has had leadership experience in just about all of the healthcare arenas, including pharma, for payers, as a chief quality officer, and as a chief medical officer of both a medical group and a hospital. In our digital age, where screens often replace human faces, Dr. Sinha delves deep into the art of communication. He reminisces about the nuances of face-to-face interactions, the richness they offer through nonverbal cues, and how the onset of COVID has shifted our ways of connecting. From his own evolution as a leader, filling the void in his business knowledge and then embracing an MBA, to his passion advocacy for fostering supportive and enriching organizational cultures, Dr. Sinha's insights are a goldmine. And for those of you curious about how to disseminate vital information in your sprawling organization, we've got you covered today. So, whether you're a physician aspiring to lead or a seasoned leader seeking fresh insights, this episode promises a blend of experience and innovation. Stay tuned as we explore the life and lessons of Dr. Sunil Sinha. And as always, remember our collective power to shape the future of healthcare. Let's dive in. Welcome to Life, Love, and Leadership for Physicians podcast. Here, we explore the central topics of intentional life design, boundaries, health, wellness, and leadership for physicians. I am dedicated to helping you create meaningful structures in your life that support both professional and personal growth. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Miller. I've tackled some of the same issues that many of us in the medical field struggle with, such as creating meaningful connections, imposter syndrome, and having a life outside of the office. Join me each week as my guests and I tackle these topics and so much more, delivering content that shows you the importance of investing time into yourself beyond caring for those around you. Tap the follow button so you never miss an episode. It's not just about leading, it's about thriving. That's right, it's about you as a whole person. At Pocket Bridges, we understand leadership's multifaceted journey. Revitalizing leadership is our mission and passion. We turn ambiguity into confident leadership, nurturing resilience, amplifying your impact and influence. Our unique approach at Pocket Bridges centers on the whole person, your values, your frameworks, your driving passions. In a world where burnout is real, you deserve a bridge to a brighter leadership journey. Join us at Pocket Bridges and let's co-create that path together. Because leadership is more than a title. It's a transformative journey. Let's cross that bridge together. Pocket Bridges, let's revitalize your leadership. Click the link in the show notes to apply for a call today. Dr. Sinha, thank you for joining me today on this episode. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So you have had quite a bit of experience in leadership from health plans to working at uh, large hospital systems and medical groups and experience as a chief medical officer. 
at different organizations. So, you know, I'm curious as you've gone into these different leadership positions, I'm sure you've had to very quickly assimilate into a new team and quickly build culture when you've gotten into a new position. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the lessons you've learned as you've stepped into a new position as a leader? Yeah, what I found over time and sometimes um, hard lessons learned with experience, but uh, I think it first starts with what the role is. You know, what what is your role? What are your responsibilities? What you're accountable for? I think having a clear understanding of that and then understanding from your team's perspective what their roles are, is their role clarity? Do they have an understanding of what's being asked of them? And then I think all the other stakeholders that you interact with, you know, on a regular basis across, you know, especially if you're in a large integrated system where there's matrix responsibilities, I think having a good understanding of what the stakeholders require from you and your team, um, that's always good. And then I think understanding the culture, you know, sometimes it takes a little time, but I think observing, you know, when you're going into meetings, you know, listening more than actually, you know, talking. And as you get to know more and more people, just kind of building out your kind of understanding of where things are, sort of, uh, you know, reading the room in terms of uh, having a clear understanding of how do people actually interact and react and, and what kind of help do they appreciate and what type of things they don't appreciate. And I think those are good things if in the first 30 to 60 days, if you're able to figure out you're ahead of the game. Yeah. So, you know, I love that whole concept of reading the room. And I think for some people, it comes a lot easier than for other people. What are some tips that you have for people being able to, you know, help them read the room a little bit easier? Yeah, I think that's become a somewhat of a, a challenge currently, just because, you know, I'm almost 30 years out of residency. And so uh, back in the day, for those of us who are old enough to remember, we had, you know, meetings very face to face and uh, mm. you went around the room, you made eye contact, you saw kind of body language, uh, tone of the voice, all those things were very apparent. So when you were interacting with others, you got a fairly good idea of how they're feeling, right? And mm-hmm. And those you get to know more as you interact with those people more and more. So, you know, COVID obviously gave us a lot of things. And I think it's left us with this uh, now expectation that we will communicate remotely more than we do actually face to face and pros and cons, obviously. But I think the big loss in that is not being able to actually interact face to face and seeing the eyes, seeing the body language, understanding the tone, those type of things. So I think it's more of a challenge. But I think having said that, really listening to what people are saying, how are they reacting? And more so when they're not reacting or not saying anything, asking them, hey, what do you think about this? You know, what's your opinion about that? How could we do it differently? Especially if you're seeing somebody who might be kind of uh, disengaging or, you know, shaking their head. So sometimes there's a tell. But I think until you're completely comfortable with, with that person or that audience, you really have to kind of go out of your way to understand how are people responding to what you're saying and what the situation is? Yeah, I know when we were all wearing masks because of COVID, I found it really challenging to connect with some people. I feel like I wear my heart on my sleeves and pretty expressive, talk with my hands and, you know, even sometimes put my hand on someone's shoulder or someone's arm. And, you know, and, and since COVID, I found it very challenging to pick up on emotions from other people and pick up on those things. And so I did feel like I was looking at people's eyes more and 
had to be very intentional on listening to the things that they were saying and watching for those head nods that you mentioned. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I'd love to go back a little bit to how you got into leadership and what sparked your curiosity in in leadership and healthcare. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I'm almost 30 years out of residency and my first job actually was in a rural community practice where we had about 50 providers, 10 of us were uh, primary care. And it was more about raising your hand if there was an issue or concern. So, you know, as primary care providers, uh, we had our own special needs separate from the specialists and the surgeons. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be things that we don't always agree with, especially if it's kind of a business where there are things that impact your bottom line. And having that voice, being able to kind of speak about things. But what I found was, you know, especially at Cutting Mile Residency, I was kind of ill-equipped. You know, when I talked to senior leaders who had been there for a while, they kind of understood the nuances of business. And I, I felt I was at a disadvantage. And so I wanted to learn. So I thought, you know, what better way than to kind of uh, participate in committee, committees, asking questions, you know, in, in meetings. And somewhere along the way, I felt the need, maybe getting an MBA might be helpful to me. And this is like in the, the late 90s. And at the time, I didn't know a lot of physicians who were getting MBAs, but uh, I did know a few. And I reached out to them and tried to kind of understand what the value of getting an MBA would be. And, and, and so several things kind of stuck with me. I think, first of all, getting that basic fundamental knowledge about maybe the business aspect but I think more importantly, the credibility. So when you're speaking, and especially if you have MBA behind your name, people at least will, may not still agree with what you're saying, but they will give you benefit of the doubt. Okay, he has a little bit more knowledge than maybe we do or experience. It could all be an assumption. It doesn't have to be fact. But I, I found that to be very helpful. And so putting those two things together really gave me that interest, finding that people were giving me credibility, but also gaining the experience And so after five years of full-time primary care practice, there was an opportunity in my community for a leadership position outside of the place where I was. I applied, got the job, and then it just kind of became a path that led to other paths. More experience, uh, more contacts, more networking led to my next position. I've been fortunate that I've never really done the same job twice, so it's always been something new. And what I always found was I could always contribute something that I had learned from my previous experience But more important to me was I continued to learn about new things and opportunities as they came about, they just kind of helped me to continue to grow. And even though, you know, 30 years later, I still find myself, you know, obviously I don't know everything, probably know very little of everything I should know. But I think having that curiosity about, you know, how is this different from what I did or how is this more impactful than these other things or uh, understanding from a provider's perspective or a, a payer's perspective or a plan's perspective or the government's perspective. Cause I now I've had experience in all those settings. You know, how can we interact in a way, especially with the people that I work with on a regular basis to help them understand this is the task and this is how we can, you know, accomplish it. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned about you having experience in all of those sectors because you have a very unique perspective. One, for your leadership, and two, as being a mentor for others who are coming up behind you. You know, what are some of the things that we can learn as leaders and those who haven't had the different perspectives? What are some things that you've learned or some advice that you have for us so that we can understand medicine in, in general, especially as it relates to burnout and the uh, cost of healthcare? I'd love to hear your perspective as a physician. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, first of all, I'll use the terminology we're always on, right? Yeah. As leaders, we're not given that ability to say, you know, I'm, I'm having an off day. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't feel like being a leader today. And we, and we talk about emotional intelligence and and you might have heard the, the phrase above the line, below the line. Right. And I, I think that's one of the things that we always have to be conscious and aware of, that we're always being watched. We're always being observed. People are paying attention to how we interact, how we come across, uh, the words we say, how we say it. How do we get things done? And so there's going to be people looking at you from across the organization that pay attention to those things. And, and you can have a lot of young leaders or potential leaders that also will see that and, you know, hopefully will be inspired or motivated in a positive way. I think that's one thing. So making sure we're, that we're always on, we can never take a day off mm-hmm. from our leadership responsibilities. The other thing is, you know, always making yourself available. You know, if we come across people that we identify as somebody who has potential in a role, they may not see themselves, maybe they're, you know, in their second or third year of practice, but, you know, you, you talk to them enough that they seem to have some type of passion, not only for clinical care, but also how do we make things better? How do I make quality better so that, you know, every patient is getting the best care possible? And not only how am I doing it, but how am I inspiring my team? You know, those who work with me, work around me. And so building that culture, maybe offering guidance or assistance to somebody that you see have potential in. So uh, maybe they don't ask, but you point out to them, you know, I see a lot of uh, potential in you. Would you mind if, you know, I just kind of guided you maybe, or maybe spend a little time with you, not so much to tell you what to do, but maybe share experiences that might be helpful to you. And I think even more importantly, if somebody actually comes to you, because that happens quite a lot to us in leadership positions, that somebody may be a few steps below you in the organization, but aspires to be, you know, at that level or beyond. And if they reach out to you, I mean, first of all, you feel very good about that, right? So you feel like you've made a positive difference for somebody that at least they acknowledge that, you know, you have something that may benefit them. And so we should, with humility, obviously, offer guidance and tell them I'm available to you and whether it's formal or informal, but always being available and making sure that we are always asking the question, how can I help you in your growth and development? As you've gone into these different roles and these different positions, what sort of um, resources were helpful for you, whether it's coaching or books or mentors or sponsors? What has been the most influential for you? I think it's been all of the above. So again, if you've been in this business as long as I have, you've seen a lot of different ways things are done. I've benefited from leadership development programs and several of the organizations that I've been in. At the point now, I'm kind of faculty for some of these programs myself. So it's sort of like giving back for what I've received. You know, I think um, the organization where I am right now, some of my teams have developed book clubs that they um, identified a book. They'll do chapters, you know, once a month and someone will be assigned. Uh, there will be readings that they go through. Uh, but I think even just doing leadership rounds, I've always benefited from that when I've had skip level meetings. So if I have somebody who is two positions above me, just as a great example. So our plan president this morning, I ran into him and I knew he was busy because he had a bunch of meetings, but he said, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's just spend a couple of minutes. I really want to catch up with you. I've been meaning to do this, but I'm going to take advantage of the time now. How are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help you? And we may have spent maybe 10 minutes at most, but I think the takeaway for me was he was busy, but he still took time to stop and ask me about things. He asked me about the work. He asked me about my family. He asked me how he could help me and the things I'm, you know, doing or trying to do. And um, just made a promise that, you know, we will, you know, connect anytime I needed help, that he'd be available. 
And I think we need to pay it back that way. So I do skip levels on a pretty regular basis. Um, so probably on any given week, I have one or two, you know, two levels or three levels below people that I'm meeting with, responding to emails if somebody asks a question. People know my phone number. They know how to connect with me. We do town halls on a pretty regular basis. The last slide will always have my contact information. So I, I think just being available and then appreciating when other leaders are available to us and you know, th thanking them and letting them know that this is valuable and hope that you do this for everybody. You know, Hopefully you're not just doing it for one or two people, but uh, spending time. And I think that helps to build the culture of an organization faster than anything else, right? That shows that you genuinely are interested and you care about people across the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I know as we've had healthcare systems that have merged and you know, we have these ginormous systems that sometimes scale over multiple states, it's much more difficult to do those meetings and to have those touch points with some of the people that you lead. Do you have any sort of suggestions for leaders to do that when they are leading teams, sometimes so remotely? Yes, I've also been fascinated with the Baldridge framework, and I've been an examiner and judge for many years. And I, I think some of the things that have kind of stuck with me is communicating and over-communicating mm -hmm. in terms of looking at how do you communicate, especially these large organizations in multiple states, multiple shifts. And so you ask the question as a leader, okay, this is the message. It's very important. How do I ensure that every one of our 30,000 employees is getting this message? So they could be somebody who is working night shifts in a hospital. They could be somebody working on weekends. It could be in the imaging center. Uh, they could be part of a plan where they're not interacting with a lot of people. A lot of people are working remotely right now. So I think just as important as, as the message and how you craft it, but how do you communicate it and making sure that you're getting feedback? I think the other thing that's a takeaway from COVID is we are doing things more town hall style where we are doing our messaging, you know, through Zoom or team calls, allowing people from different shifts to be able to participate, uh, sending their questions in in advance, making sure that you have, you know, if you're a leader with multiple direct reports, Having everybody speak, so it's not just your voice, but you can have other leaders also talking to different topics that could be important across the organization. Obviously, communicating through email, you know, our traditional way, sending out messages, newsletters, having town halls, you know, face-to-face -face where you might go to a large hospital or a large center, uh, inviting people whoever are available to come. So I, I think it's not one, two, or three. It, it's all the different ways that you can communicate and really make sure that your communication methods are effective you know, making sure that people have the information they need in the time frame that they need it as well. So it's challenging, but I mm -hmm. think a lot of leaders that I see across the organization, you know, I, I see how they do these things. And I, I think we're having better expertise in communication post-COVID, just out of necessity. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like things have definitely changed since COVID. You know, as you look back on your very extensive career in the different industries, would you do anything differently when you look back on things? Well, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I, I couldn't have imagined the career I've had. I go back and forth in terms of, I've, I've worked for a lot of great organizations over the years, but I've also think about what if I stayed in the practice I started 30 years ago and developed that relationship with the community and got to be known from the perspective, this person has been here taking care of our families for years, or in any of the jobs after that, if I just stayed there for 20 years or 15 years or 10 years, and I feel a little bit jealous when I hear somebody's retired after 30 years of service in one organization, because, you know, obviously they've been there for a long time for reasons, right? They've done a great job. They probably moved up in the organization uh, and they're very valued. Again, pros and cons, but I feel blessed also that I've, I've had this opportunity 
because I, you know, like I said, it's just not so much that I sought out different opportunities, they just became mm-hmm. available. And that curiosity factor that this is something different. I'd like to learn, I'd like to contribute. So it tended to work out that way. You know, I, I kind of jokingly say I've stumbled into my careers. I see now more people coming out of residency, more uh, deliberate about what they want to do and really honing in on what the end might look like. And maybe the end is 10 years, 20 years until they do the next phase of their career. But, you know, focusing on quality, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on patient safety, focusing on maybe uh, information systems, focusing in more on operations, you know, people getting masters. You know, I, when I was getting my masters, there weren't a lot of people doing that at the time. Now it's almost like a given that uh, you have to have some type of advanced business degree to get to the next level. And so I think, you know, again, try to answer your question. I don't know that I would do anything differently, but I, I feel fortunate, but sometimes I always think about what if, you know, if I had just been in the same organization for a long period of time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the things that I think definitely drew me to want to have this conversation with you is that I think that we are very similar and that we have a passion for increasing the number of physicians being in leadership positions. And that is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And I've said it many times in the past that I really feel like we need strong physician leaders in positions so that we can influence healthcare and influence the change. What advice do you have for physicians who are maybe on the edge and don't feel like they may be ready to take on a leadership position, even if it's, you know, being in charge of a committee or being service line lead or department lead? What sort of advice do you have for those physicians who are on the edge? Yeah, you know, I'm very thankful for a handful of mentors that I've had along the way. So kind of going back to when I first made the decision or was deciding about uh, the value of a, an MBA within um, a professional society, the American College of Healthcare Executives, I, I basically looked through the directory to find another physician who also had a master's degree or an MBA and reached out to that person. And they were very giving of their time and explained to me kind of why they did what they did and what the value was. And they may not accept the fact that I consider them my mentor but they are, you know, and they become friends, obviously, over time. And, and there's several. And so I think in the same vein, in fact, several positions that I was at the time thinking about taking or not taking, I would reach out to one or more of these mentors and ask them, what do you think about this? You know, most of the jobs that I can mention, they were new to me. And having that fear of, you know, failure, what if I can't do this? And they would always say the right thing at the right time in terms of, you have to be confident in your abilities. You know, something got you to this point, right? To the point that you're even being considered for that position. Why not take a gamble on yourself? You know, as long as you understand it and goes back to the things I've mentioned, understanding the role, understanding the people that you work with, understanding the culture, and really honing in on those things early on, doing the work early so that you set yourself up for success. And I think also accepting the fact that you don't know everything and asking those questions or telling people, hey, you know what, I don't know this today. I'll figure it out, you know, with your help or other people's help, whatever that is. So I think being humble, being sincere, being willing to put in the work, being willing to ask questions, you know, when you don't know the answers. And I think in the same vein, we need to talk to those who we see potential in. So I I spoke earlier about those who might be young in their careers, not even thinking about these things, but just kind of putting it in their head 
hey, you, might, you really need to think about possibly being a chief medical officer five to seven years down the road. Um, and if you are interested, I'm happy to help you kind of get there so that your trajectory, you know, the incline is not that high so that we can get you better prepared for those things. Again, if you're interested. And so sometimes it may not be one conversation, it may not be two, but by the third or fourth time, you know, it starts to sink in. And, you know, I've had several, now my peers, but early on in their career, I identified something in them. And then I think kind of push them in the right direction. I can't take credit for where they are today, but at least guiding them in terms of early in their career, what are the things that might be helpful to them? Yeah. I know that I have seen some great leaders come from being pushed into certain positions. And so I'm thankful for you for that, for encouraging others to take on leadership positions. As we close out this conversation, um, I'd love to know if people want to reach out to you, if they have any questions, want to reach out to you for any advice, how would they reach out to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my email, so you feel free to share that. I'm always available in any capacity. So I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put all of your information in the show notes. So if any of our listeners are interested in contacting you, all that information will be in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It's been great. I really appreciate it. You are a wealth of knowledge and information, especially since you have seen so many different industries within healthcare. So I really thank you. And um, I think our listeners will get a lot out of this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this Life, Love, and Leadership for Physicians episode. Did you have an aha moment? I'd love it if you shared it with me on Instagram at drrachelmillermd. That's drrachelmillermd. If you love the show and want to hear more, follow the podcast and give me a rating and a review. If there's a specific topic you'd like for me to cover or a guest you'd like for me to have on the show, please let me know. I love your suggestions.